Amen. Um, all right. So this morning, we, I just want to pick up where I, I left off last week. We, we spoke last week about, about the church and how God has destined his church to be great. And um, we, we started in Isaiah 2, and we're going to go there this morning. But just as a heads up, in case you weren't here last week, I'm going to just kind of recap a little bit on it for all of us. But, but also, so if you weren't here last week, just so you know, Trish and I are, are leaving. Not permanently. <laughs> we, we're going on sabbatical, okay? And it's just a couple of weeks now. We had our last elders meeting yesterday. We kind of handed over to the eldership team. And um, we're working really hard at the moment to make sure that everything runs smoothly in this process, that everybody gets looked after, that the mission of the church continues. And I must say, we, we're extremely confident. We think like we think things are going to get better within our absence. We think leaders are going to arise, and we think that the church is going to do really well in our absence. We're going to come back and not even recognize you guys. That's what we think. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, just so 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 we we working towards going on sabbatical, and and I wanted to take last week, today, and tomorrow, and the next week, just just to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page as a church, just to kind of make sure that we're we're going, that we're united, that we're focused, that we're organized, that we're 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 not just attendees, but we're 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 a powerful army. Amen. Amen powerful army okay so so really that's what we i'm kind of going after uh for these couple of weeks and next week we have pastor gareth stead coming from our church in cape town and he's going to be ordaining our eldership our elder our elders in training um so we're going to be setting our eldership team officially in place next week uh, Sunday, and it's going to be an awesome moment. It's going to be a very special service. It's a very special time for us as a church. So, so come, okay? Come prayed up, come ready. We think God's going to do something amazing in that time. Um, so, if, are you in Isaiah 2? I want to, last week I spoke about how we can play a significant role in, in, in what God is doing right here, right now. And this week I want to kind of shift the focus and talk a little bit about leadership in the church so we have understanding for next week. And what's going to be happening next week. But let's go to Isaiah 2. And we're going to go to verse 2. And we're going to read together. It says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, say latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Father, I just want to pray over this moment, and I just ask that, Lord, I have so much to share this morning, and we have small time available. I just pray that the most essentials would come across this morning. Most of all, I pray that your heart would, would come across. And, and I pray that, Lord, we would catch your heart this morning. That we would catch your heart, your vision for your church, for us, for our lives, Dad. Lord, I pray that the words I speak, that there would be life this morning, Lord. That there would be revelation to us. That they would feed us, encourage us, correct us. Help us along the road that you have for us, the destiny and the purpose that you've called us to. 
May this be a moment for you, Lord, to, to touch all of us, Lord, to heal, to restore, to deliver, to, to help us to understand you better, to understand ourselves better and what you've called us to do. We commit this time into your hands, Dad. Holy Spirit, have your way. I just acknowledge that you're the real leader in the room. Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. Have your way this morning. Amen. So this passage of scripture, I don't know about you, but it's, it's, remember when we read it last week? I, um, I, I, I read it again this week and I've just, I've been, I've almost, I've almost just kind of fallen in love with this passage <laughs> because I've, I've kind of been reading this and remember I said to you last week that this is, this is like a prophetic vision of what God wants His church to be. It's a prophetic picture of how He wants His church to be in society, in the nations. And what he did was he spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah was an incredible prophet. He saw into the time of Christ and he spoke about the Messiah. But he also saw into the latter days, the time after Christ. And he saw the age of the church as well. And through him, God released a picture of what his church, of what he desires his church to be in the nations. And when you look at this picture, I don't know, I get excited about it. I think, I think when, I don't know, when I read it, I get this big, like, amen, let it, let this be true, let this be real. Because what we're seeing here, remember I said to you that when it talks about mountains, it's talking about areas of, of governance or areas of influence and authority in society. So government could be a, a, a mountain, education could be a mountain, media could be a mountain, and all these mountains kind of, they influence society. And what the scripture says to us is that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that, that talking about the church, will become the highest of the mountains. In other words, it will be the one that's influencing all the others. It's the, it will be the place where of, of most authority, the place that's not the other way around. You know, sometimes we know the church as the place that's getting influenced by media, getting influenced by society, by education. And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the picture that I have for my church. My church will be like a mighty army. My church will be this incredible mountain that will rise above the other mountains and it will influence those mountains. That education will then start to be shaped in the correct way. That government will then begin to get shaped in that correct way. That media will then get, begin to get shaped in the, in the, in that way. And then and from the mountain of the Lord, his teachings and his word and his presence and his power and his generosity and his grace and his love get so soaked into these people. And then all of these people pour out into society and begin to influence society. This is the, what we're looking at here. People flowing to this place. They want to be in this place and then flowing from that place into all these other mountains and influencing society. This is this is what God dreams about. And, and some people go, oh, well, one day that will happen. But I want to say it's already happened. It's already happened in history. In the last, you know, 2,000 years, we've seen, we've seen, we've seen followers of Christ turn entire nations around, influence media and science and education, change societies, change communities. We, we've seen it all over the world. And so this is not a picture for one day. Oh, one day, you know, we'll have this thing. We, we're not one day Christians. We're today Christians. Amen. We're today. Today. This is, this is what, this is what we could have right now in this city. This is what we could experience, that the, that the church in Durban, not just us, the church in Durban could become the place, the most influential place. The, and this is what God wants. He's, he's destined his church to be great. 
And when I say great, I'm talking attractive, uh, powerful, influential, people desiring to go there. Um, and, 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 and what a shame if the church is not that. Hey, where's that place where, oh, do we have to go there? And kids are kicking and screaming, don't take me there. You know, I don't want to go. You go. And then the family gets together and says, okay, mom, you go and we, you go for us, you know, <laughs> because we don't want to be, no, but we're, where we all want to go. We're desiring to go there. And where it talks about that people flowing to it, it's rivers flow down a mountain. Now, this is, this is another stream. This is a stream that's flowing up the mountain, a stream that's going against the flow. You know, God's called us not to go with the flow of the world, but he's called us to go with his flow. And, 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 he, and God sees the potential in his church that, that it could be a place that people flow to. They, they want to come to it. They, they, they're desiring to. They're like, I need to be there. I need to hear him. I need to experience him. I need to, I need to be fed by him. I need to understand his ways better because I know that if I can get that, then I can go and do what God's called me to do in, in everything else. So, so this is his prophetic picture. And can we just do a loud amen for this? Yeah. Another one, bigger, louder. Yeah. We're in agreement, amen? We're in agreement. We, what we're saying when we say amen, we say let it be done. Let it be done. Let, it, let that happen in our times, okay? This is what God wants. Jesus reiterated this in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. He was just echoing what Isaiah was saying when he was talking to his followers that were, that were with him in that time. And he was basically saying, guys, what Isaiah spoke is exactly what I'm saying for you right now. Be that light. Be that city set on a hill. Now, last week we just spoke about how vision is wonderful. It's awesome. But it requires something of us. We can say amen until we blew in the face. Amen. Amen. We love it. You know, and then it doesn't happen. Remember, vision is something that we have to allow to shape us. And then it needs to come into our weekly schedule. Then it needs to come into our life. It needs to, we need to see how we can take this and put it into everything that we do and how I can use my gift, my talent, my experience so that I can partner with what God is doing in the earth today. That's what vision requires of us. You know, we all have a vision of, 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 of the body we want to have. Amen? You know, just... But if, if, if we don't schedule gym time, <laughs> it's not going to get there. Okay? We'll be, we could be the church that says amen until we're blue in the face and never actually taste that. Unless we unless we the, the church that says, I want to be that. I want to see that. And then starts to, we start to create space in our lives. We start to see, how can I play a role in what God is doing? And remember, it's not us to achieve this. It's us stepping into what God is doing. And as we step in, as we bring our gift and we bring our talents into what God is doing, we, we step into the grace of God. We step into the power of God. And we start to do more than what we're able to do in our flesh. God didn't just say, do this. He said, I will be with you. Yo, 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 I will be with you till the end of the age. If you get busy with this, I will, I will be with you. And so often we're the, we, we, as church people, we, we're like, God, will you be with your hand? Isn't it true? 
We were like, I've got a vision for my life. Lord, will you? And God's like, I've got a vision for the city and the world. Will, will you? <laughs> and, and, and you know what? You know, you can't negotiate with a lighthouse. <laughs> you know, there's a ship sailing close to the shoreline. And they heard somebody radio them and say, you better change your line. And he was like, no, we're a battleship. You change your line. And the person came back, no, I think you need to change your line. And he's like, listen, we're the commander of this fleet, of this army, of this country. You need to change your line. The person came back and said, no, we're a lighthouse. <laughs> you need to change your line. <laughs> doesn't matter what battle you know. doesn't matter how great you are. doesn't matter how great your vision is, your gift is, your whatever is, okay? Unless we plugged into what God is doing, guys, it will be a life spent. With no eternal reward, no eternal value. And, and, and our job here, you know, is to make sure you understand that. That you don't waste your life on, on other things, but that you give your life to the things that matter the most. So last week, remember, we spoke about three hub. Look at the person next to you and say, three what? <laughs> three hub. Three hours of purpose. How are you doing with that, by the way? Nod at me if you've got if you've got that in your diary. Just give me a nod. There are like four nods here. What's going on? <laughs> okay, you all weren't here last week. Hey, <laughs> please, please let's not be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word. Okay, really, the principle I spoke about was this: carve out time to serve God. To give yourself to the purposes of God. You know, God took a nation of Israel, the nation Israel, and He used them as an example for us. And the nation of Israel had, He told them to, when the land was being divided, He said, keep this land for me. Uh, when, when their, when their crops were coming in, He said, keep this aside for me. Out of all the tribes, keep this, this tribe aside for me. Um, out of, out of their, their weekly schedule, time he said keep a day for me out of their annual year he said keep these blocks of time these feasts these festivals for me and what he was trying to teach them was this principle that if you do not separate things unto the lord they get swallowed up that time gets swallowed up and everything else here's a powerpoint for you life will always demand more of you and it has no value for what you value very wise guy and none. <laughs> Life will always demand more of you, and it has no value for what you value. In other words, that if you want to be a person who lives by values, you're going to have to govern your time and make sure that your time speaks of your values. Otherwise, you will be a person with no values. You'll say it's valuable, but it'll be something that you value with your mouth. I mean, I can say I value my kids, but if I don't spend time, is that really true? No, it's not. So we, we can say I, I value you, Lord. I honor you, Lord. But unless there's a, an outworking of it, then, then, it's, then it's just lip service. It's not real, okay? Oh, we're going to go deep today. <laughs> can I have an Amen. amen. <laughs> Guys, we mustn't be the church by name only. We mustn't be Christians by name only. 
All right, people need to look at our lives and see that we honor the Lord. Look at our finances, see that we honor the Lord. Look at our lifestyle, see that we honor the Lord. There needs to be something that our, our lives could even speak for themselves. By, you know, remember I spoke to you last week. I said I could take your weekly schedule and I could tell you your future. So what you spend your time on now is where you will be in the future. So it's 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 no point having a vision for your life unless it's scheduled. Okay, we we need to make time. We need to separate ourselves, things for God, and say, "This is, Lord, this is my offering to you. This is my worship to you. This is how I honor you. This is how I serve you." And really, this is what I'm going after this morning. Is is I think this is this is really a satanic agenda, really, to make us so busy and so preoccupied and so distracted that we don't actually have space and time to honor God. I really think it's it's an agenda in our age. It's the it's the times we live in. It's his number one weapon. Is he, he would love us all just so burdened, and then we'll just come and say amen to vision, but then there's no practicality. And then we get to our li- end of our lives and we go, maybe the next generation. No, 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 no. Our generation, amen. Our generation, amen. We by faith we say it's now. And we're going we're gonna to live that thing. We're going to see that thing. We're going to experience what God has promised. Amen. I think what, I, what I'm also going for this morning is, is this kind of like there's a second agenda here. That Satan knows if he can't get us busy and distracted with other things, so we don't have time to serve God, then what he will pretty much make sure is that the time that we do set aside will be wasted on religious activity. <laughs> And I think he's kind of happy with either or. <laughs> like, you're so burdened and distracted, you, 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 there's no space in your life for anything, God. Or the time that you do set aside, it's, it's fine because it's actually just wasted on, on religious activity, on things that, that don't really amount to much or what really God values or what God wants. And, and unfortunately, this is, this is a trap that church can fall into. Is that we, we become so concerned with, with things that are not important around the things that are important. <laughs> and then we, we waste the very time and the very thing that we have separated unto God. It just becomes something that's, that's actually not pleasing in God's sight. Something that God actually doesn't want, that doesn't advance His purpose, that doesn't make disciples, that doesn't get people saved, that doesn't get people baptized, that doesn't bring any life transformation, that doesn't bring the blessing of God, that doesn't, but we're just doing it. We're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it, but there's no things. There's no things that God, the fruits that God actually wants to see from it. Jesus said this, Let's go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Are you, are you still okay this morning? All right. Matthew 16, verse 6, says the following. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he goes on and talks about how his disciples didn't really know what he was talking about. And they thought, well, is it because we don't have bread or, you know, what, what, what's going on? These guys, shame, hey? Their faults are all recorded in scripture. <laughs> we could get to heaven and go, ah, leaven. <laughs> no, we won't. No, we won't. We won't. Uh, but, uh, 
take heed, beware. Nudge the person next to you and say, beware. Beware. Can you do it in a beware voice? Look at the person behind you and say, beware. <laughs> Just trying to emphasize the word here, okay? Some of you are doing that really well. Um, beware. Beware. Just watch out. Be on your guard. Be alert. Be vigilant of what? The, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was Jesus talking about here? What is this yeast? Yeast, we know, is, is a small amount that you put into something awesome like dough, and it has a huge impact. It has a huge influence. So you just need a little bit of it. If you put more of it, it'll completely explode. <laughs> it'll cause that thing to right up if you put too much. So, so it's something which, which doesn't require too much. It's something maybe even inconspicuous. It's something maybe un, something that you could just even look over, but when you mix it in with the rest of what is good, it, it influences and affects everything else. So this is what Jesus is talking about, yeah, the yeast of the, amen, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I went and, and just kind of studied this for a little bit for us this morning. He's talking about two different things here. He's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the Sadducees. Now, I want to just explain this to you so you understand it. The Sadducees, will come up on a PowerPoint for you this morning. The Sadducees um, had a delicate and fragile allegiance to the principles of God as long as their safety and comfort was ensured. That's who the Sadducees were. So they're kind of like the ruling class in those days. And um, they, they were in cohorts with the Roman political agenda. So the Roman political agenda for Palestine area and Israel kind of went to this ruling class and negotiated with them because they just they didn't want war, they wanted more people to die. They wanted they wanted peace, they wanted things to go on, but they wanted it to go on with Rome's agenda being influenced. And what this these guys did was they pleased Roman rule. Okay? They worked with Roman rule to the point where they even allowed the Romans to appoint the high priest. Okay? So th- th- that I mean that was something that that's a sacred appointment. That's a god thing. That's a holy thing. That's that's like, you know, that's like when when somebody from from our parliament comes in here and tells us who the next pastor is. You know what I mean? It's 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 kind of like that sort of thing. And so what we see with these Sadducees is they had a very weak delicate allegiance to the principles of God. As long as there's comfort, there's safety, as long as things go peacefully, as long as everything's all right, we just don't, let's not upset the apple cart. You want me to compromise a little bit? I could compromise a little bit. That's fine. As long as I don't suffer in the process. Okay? So kind of like, we're talking about a lukewarm Christianity here. We're talking about like a a nominal Christianity where I'm, I'm Christian only in the fact that I tick that box. But there's nothing else really with that, you know. And my faith doesn't threaten anybody. It's like it's very peaceful. It's it's like I'm okay with everybody else, and 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 my faith doesn't impact anybody else either. It doesn't change their lives. It's I have a weak allegiance to the principles of God. Okay, so that's the yeast of the Sadducees. Then he's talking about the weak, the yeast of the Pharisees was different. 
The Pharisees were like a rule-keeping sectarian. The word sectarian means um, kind of like exclusive. So like us and not you. Okay, sectarian. Very much like you're in or you're out. Rule-keeping, sectarian, competitive. Like who's better? Who prayed better? Who leads worship better? Okay, we're, we're all competing with each other. Who's the most holy here? Who fasted the longest? Oh, you went over the church fast by how many days? Hey, I went over by 10 days, you know? So it's like this competitive kind of thing. There's no real relationship with God that's being emphasized. It's more about the, the traditions and cultures. And they consistently ignored the things that God valued the most. Whilst giving extreme importance to the things that he valued the least. Okay, so now, now you understand these, these two schools. Now, both of these schools make up this definition of religion. Okay? Religion, Christian by name only, or Christian because of all the rules, because of all the traditions, because of all of the stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff that I do. Okay? But they both make up the definition of what religion is. And Jesus is saying, watch out for both of them. Watch out. And there's this temptation in our Christian walk to lean either way. That we become so, so, so weak in our allegiance to God that we just, the world is influencing us. Or we become so pharisaical, rule keeping, and you come to church like dressed like that. What do you mean? You know, and, and who are you coming to church? And, and who's this person? And I pray loud. And you know, there's all this like rules that we're keeping. So, and there's this temptation that, we can go this other way. So Jesus said, watch out. Watch out. And all it needs is just a little heart attitude, and you can go that way. Just a little heart attitude, and you can go that way as well. So it starts small, but then it just influences everything that you do. So the yeast that Jesus is talking about is, is really an attitude of heart. It's an attitude that gets into your heart that, that leads you in that direction. And, and both are things Jesus says, beware of. Like, like he's basically saying, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't want you to end up like that. Okay, so watch out for that. All right, you got it? So I want to just talk about this for a moment. Um, the core of our belief, let me show you this slide. The, the core of our belief is this, is, is faith, hope, Love, grace, holiness, devotion to God. There's more I could throw in there. That's just like a little bit for us here this morning, okay? The core, that's the core of, of our, of our belief. And all of these things are beautiful. <laughs> Alright? Faith, hope, love, grace, holiness. They're, they're, they're amazing things. And they're, they're the working of God in the heart of in our hearts. It's, it's the Spirit of God working in our hearts to produce these. All of these are, are attitudes of the heart. All of these are motivations of the heart that flow out of a heart that's touched by God, that's been touched by the gospel. So God comes and I hear the gospel story and my heart is touched. How is it touched? It's touched in a way that I then begin to love. It's touched in a way that I begin to walk in faith towards God. It's touched in a way that I begin to have devotion unto God, that I desire this relationship 
relationship with God. And so I pray. And, and it's touched. And so then I start to live a holy life because I understand that Jesus came so that I could be holy before God. And so I want to treasure this gift called holiness. And I look after this gift called holiness. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he works these things into our heart. But then the thing is, these things never end up staying in our hearts. They always result in actions. They always they have to result in actions. Otherwise, we have to question whether they're there or not. <laughs> Amen. So the faith starts internally and then it starts to work out in actions. And then what happens is we do actions after a period of time. And those actions then become culture. They become a church culture. We build a church culture. We build a, a culture in our community around those actions or traditions or rituals start to then flow out of those actions, out of that core. And this is how, this is how, this is what God wants, this is what God wants us to be. Okay? This is how He wants us to be. He wants us to have this inner core of, of, of attitude like this that then begins to be outworked in action, that begins to be outworked in our culture, in our traditions and stuff like that. But never the other way around. Okay? And, and, and this is what the Pharisees were doing. As they were giving attention to culture, tradition, ritual, and neglecting the core of what it is. And so that's that's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. So the tomb looks great on the outside. It's all whitewashed and it's beautiful, you know. But inside it's just dead. And, and, And that's what you're saying is, you see, our faith has to start in our hearts. That we have to have a personal encounter with Jesus. We have to have a living faith in God. We have to have that moment where we understand the gospel and allow it to impact our heart. From there we then begin to move. From there we begin to flow and build life and culture and all these other things. Um, and when you look at, our, at the church today, it's unfortunate that we fall into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. So it's not about praying or having devotion to God. It's about how you pray. You have to put on old King James. Oh Lord, thou art the awesome amazing. It's about the words, the actions, not about devotion unto God. It's about all the other stuff, how many words you use, what, what body position you're in. You know, like you can't pray just standing up talking you have to close your eyes do you have to close your eyes it helps but do you have to can we just pray with our eyes open like this <laughs> we can <laughs> i was reading a book about this guy who got saved and he said someone challenged him and said you should pray and he said you know what i need to pray and he was like well i don't know any other way to pray other than what i've read in kids books where i see a little kid sitting beside the bed with their hands like this so he did that <laughs> because he went to his bed he kneeled down he put his hands like this and he prayed like that you know and god touched him and that's how he built his prayer life but it was only later that he realized that it's not about that it's about praying it's about having a relationship with god okay it's not about the actions that come with that unfortunately in the church today it becomes all about Not about having a relationship with God, but about which man of God do you follow? You know, which prophet do you follow? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this, I'm of every nation, I'm of this, I'm of that. Those are externals. 
It's about what, what about your relationship with God? Are you, or are you living through some man of God, some prophet or something like that? And it's, it's not about living a life that honors God. It's about don't eat bacon <laughs> or kneel before you sit down. Or, I don't know, just all those, you know, you have to make the sign of the cross before you start driving. Or So I won't have real faith in God, but I'll put faith in my, in my methods and in my principles. And this is rife in the church today, guys. I'm not going to put my faith in God for healing. I'm going to go get the holy water. And I'm going to take the holy water and spray it or taste it or something like that. Am I standing on toes this morning? Man, this is, you've got to be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Okay? It's a small little thing. We suddenly, you know, we, we want to trust God and we're desperate. And then suddenly somebody comes and says, no, this will help you on your way. You know, we have to get the hanky that's been prayed for by the prophet in order to get the healing that we want to see. What about faith in God? You know, when, 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 when Jesus saw that his disciples couldn't heal people, he didn't tell them, well, okay, guys, give me some bottles. I'm going to spit in the mud, put some mud in these bottles because I put this mud on a blind guy's eyes and, and it healed him. So, so if your faith is not strong enough, here, I've, I've bottled mud and spit for you. Take, come get my bottle of mud and spit, you know, and this will help you. No, he, he didn't say, well, I'll anoint hankies for you. He, he just rebuked their lack of faith. And they said, but help us, Jesus. And he says, no, the only way you're going to get faith is through prayer and fasting. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's it. So it's, amen. So we, we have all manner of craziness in the church today. Anointed hankies, bottles of water. All sorts of funny things. And I think this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants us so preoccupied with the stuff that we miss the call. That we don't actually have faith. It's, we have a bottle or we have something else. You know, there's, there's, it's crazy that, that women are going in their thousands to get their, their fingers anointed for marriage. And they're paying like 5,000 rand, like all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. You want to get married? I'm going to pray over you, deposit 5,000 rand in the bank account, and, and we're going to trust God for that husband. And, you know, I, guys, this is wrong. This is seriously wrong. Amen. It's, it's, it's all method based. You know, when David killed Goliath, we don't see David thereafter going and making a whole lot of anointed catapults and then selling them to the Israel army saying, guys, the catapult will save us. No, he said, my faith in God. God delivered me. God will deliver Israel. God will do this thing today. You see, <laughs> Satan wants us <laughs> not, if we're going to put something aside for God, he wants there to be no faith in it. He'd be happy with us having anointed catapults in that moment and not having real faith in God. Some other substitute or thing. Okay? So there's all manner of craziness in the church today, and really, it's all existed before anyway. <laughs> it's all been happening over time. 
We won't have faith in God for protection while we drive, but we will get the man of God's anointed sticker for our bumper because that will protect our car. I'm sorry if I'm standing on your toes this morning, but it's the truth. It's the truth that, that we'll put our faith in a sticker and not in God. And I think the enemy's cool with us driving around with that sticker. Because he knows that now your faith is not in God. You're not cultivating something pure and righteous and holy and powerful. It's very weak. It's very uh, watered down. Okay? So, <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> I could go on. Let's leave it over there. Okay? But this is what he wants. is He would love the church to be obsessed with things. Stuff, rituals that we do, culture, all of this tradition stuff and our style of music and our genre of music and the way we do things and all that, that, and then the core is neglected. That we, we all about the externals. We are those tombs. We whitewashed on the outside, but inside there's no core. There's no real pure devotion unto God. When it comes to the area of leadership in the church, we see this yeast like in its full 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 expression okay when if we just had to focus that was the whole church but if we had to just focus it down into into leadership in the church this is when we suddenly start to see this yeast like really magnified the enemy would love church leadership to be about titles to be about clothing about academics and positions that's what he would love. John Maxwell says that, that, that the world rises and falls on leadership. And it's true, okay? If uh, Jesus said, you know, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will, will scatter, okay? Leadership influences, all right? Leadership determines the health of organizations. And it, it plays such an important role. And Satan knows if he can just influence the leadership in a church, <laughs> then... Then, every, then the church becomes powerless. It becomes not what God wants to see. The brakes are put on the vision. We never become what God envisioned in, in Isaiah 2. And so this is what he would love us to be obsessed with in the church. That in church we would have titles. Reverend, right reverend, cardinal, archcardinal, bishop, archbishop, doctor, apostle, leader. You know, there's, there's just all these, these either the list is endless. Of, you know, they're, they're making up new ones now, even apparently. Okay, of of all these different titles that we that we throw, and and it becomes about a title and not about the core of what leadership is. Okay, it becomes about clothes. I mean, if you take a look at the Pharisees and you look at what they wore, um, everything was like they had phylacteries and they had right this color and because this color symbolized that and they had stone and just had all these things that were everywhere like you could see one from a distance they they stood out they were outlandish um and and they were very proud of that and maybe there was some symbolism behind it and all of that sort of thing but some but but it got to the point where <laughs> you couldn't pray unless you had that outfit on <laughs> You know, unless that's how these things get. In some churches today, you're not allowed to pray without your hat on or your prayer shawl over you or something like that. You know, it just it becomes about the clothing. And if you look at the church today, we've got hats and robes and collars and we've got chains and we've got all sorts of things out there 
And if you look at the Bible, I'm just going to be honest, they're not there. Only in the Pharisees we see them there. Only in the Sadducees. And that's the very place that Jesus said, beware. Don't be like that. Somebody say amen, pastor. The right academics. You know, I, I had, you know, I got to chat with a professor in a seminary. And I was so excited to chat with a professor in a seminary because I wanted to know what he knew and like I, you know, enjoy studying the Bible. And just, so I just asked him some questions. And it didn't take very long to realize that this guy is in a seminary teaching many would-be pastors and church leaders from a reputable American seminary, yet the man himself is not born again. And he doesn't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. So that, that was my conversation with him. Where he, in, in question, I, I had to, he doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit even. Or the baptism of the Spirit. I was absolutely shocked. And the problem is this, is this is how this thing can go weird. Is that we have a leadership structure in the church that has got no core, but you have a degree in theology. But you're not born again. You're not filled with the Spirit. You're not walking in humility and are cultivating a real relationship with God. But you have the academics, so we'll let you lead the church. It's very interesting that Jesus chose uneducated people to be his disciples. He did disciple them for three years, okay? So he did teach them some stuff, all right? He did. There was some academics, and I'm not downplaying academics. I feel like we should have the academics as well, but not without the core. Not without the core. The core is the most important parts, not the other stuff. Amen? Positions. Who, and, 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 and then there's all these like entitlements and, and thrones that leaders get to sit on. And, you know, all the perks and the honors and the, it's, it's, it's just not here. It's just not, it's not cricket. <laughs> it's not Bible. Okay? Um, the result is that we have leaders who should never be leaders in the church. And the leaders that we are there are proud, they're entitlement-driven. You know, before they come speak in your church, they negotiate a fee with you. God forbid that we get to that point. I'm going to get invited somewhere to speak. Like, let's say I'm like an awesome speaker in Durban and someone's invited me that before I come, I sit down and I negotiate my fee of, of that speaking engagement. Guys, it's wrong. I'm just saying it's absolutely wrong. But this is what we have in the church today. And this is happening all around us. Some of you are like shocked, like you're only hearing this for the first time. I know, I'm also shocked. I got to hear this just recently about, and what those fees are. If you want one of these, one of these pastors or prophets to come minister in your church, 25k, 30k up front. Here's my bank account before they come. And then the, 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 there is this, this buy-in from multiple churches that say, yeah, we'll raise the money. Please come. It's wrong. There's something wrong in this thing. This thing is not a money thing. You know, this thing is not, I, you know, you don't go into ministry to make money. You don't go into ministry so that you can sit on a special chair in church. You don't go into ministry so that you can feel above other people. You don't go into ministry so that you can have a title and feel important about yourself. You go into ministry because you're called by God. 
And that call is witnessed by people around you in a spiritual family. And the fruit of your life speaks of the core that's in your life. And then we recognize the, fr- the, the core in your life by the fruit that we see. And in a safe environment, we endorse you. And then you live out a humility-based, servant-hearted leadership in a community that loves and supports other people. Amen? <laughs> and you know, the, the, the problem is, is that Satan has so twisted church leadership. It's, it's just so messed up. You know, we have people throwing out their titles and their positions and fees and hats and robes. And we have all this thing. And I think, you know, one of these, the real reasons why he's doing this is because he wants you. Nudge the person say, that's you and me. He wants you not to want to be a leader in the church. I think he wants to distort it to the place where you will feel like you never measure up to being that. Or you never want to wear that robe. <laughs> or you never want to be that type that you, that you sitting here will never When the Bible says this, that he who desires the office of an elder desires a good thing. That he who serves well as a deacon obtains favor with man and with God. That these positions that are in the church are actually positions that we should desire. They're positions where we should actually aspire to them. Because why? Because that's a way that we can serve God in a greater capacity. That's a way that we can fulfill God's vision in a greater capacity. And so the result is that you have a huge amount of people in the church who don't want to rise up to be those leaders because it's such a distorted picture. And then there are a few people who look at that distorted picture and because their hearts are distorted, they say, I want to be that. And they go without the core in place. And then we have this problem where we don't have the leadership that God wants us to have and the church then becomes ineffective. That makes a lot of sense, eh? Sure, that was good. I think I'm going to listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah amen i'll say amen to that the worst result (laughs) the worst result is that god's vision doesn't come to pass because of that so so the question is this morning what is biblical leadership we're going to for an ordination next week what are we doing i want you to make i want to make sure this morning that you know what we're doing okay when we look at the new testament we see three levels of leadership acts 15 and verse 4 Are you still okay this morning? Wiggle your toes. Lean forward. Lean to the side. I want you to be okay. All right? Don't switch off. Acts 15 verse 4 says the following. When they came... Can we read it together? When they came to Jerusalem... Next scripture, Philippians 1 verse 1. Paul, okay. The, what we see from this passage, the Bible talks about three levels of leadership. It talks about apostles, it talks about elders or bishops, same word, sometimes translated as elder, sometimes translated as bishop, and we see deacons. Three levels of authority in the church. 
Okay, they came back from missionary trips. They reported to who? The apostles and the bishops, to the elders. And then we see the deacons serving in churches. So there's three levels of leadership that we see in church. Now, if I had to, I'm pretty sure this is a good test to see how, how good a job Satan has done in the church today. If I had to say to you, you could be a bishop one day, what is the first thing that goes through your mind? Yeah, and the, and the robe. It's a distortion. It's a distortion of what God wants. All right? You see, we, we've taken this word bishop and we've, and we've made it into a clothing outfit. Okay? We've made it into something that it's, that it's actually not. And the result is that we don't then desire it because of that. So what we need is a true picture of what a bishop is. And what an elder is, because the Bible says he who desires that position is actually desiring a good thing. Not something that's that. Amen. So, what are apostles, what are elders, what are deacons? Apostles, as we understand it, are, the word apostle means sent one. Means those who are sent by Jesus Christ. And the role that we see apostles playing in the New Testament is that they govern churches. Right? So they oversee multiple churches and they make sure that those churches are healthy, that the core is in place in those churches, that those churches are doing what they do and they are there to serve and help those churches become what, they've, what they call to be. Right? So apostles are people who start new churches and they're people who look over and watch over churches and make sure that those churches that's why we have the New Testament. Paul was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. John was an apostle. And they wrote letters to the church to help make sure that the core in those churches was in place. That's what they were doing. All right. So, so that's what apostles do. What do elders do or bishops? Elders are people who govern local churches. It's usually a plurality or a team of people who look after the affairs of a local church or of a few congregations. It's possible to have a few congregations in a city with one eldership team or one eldership team overseeing one congregation, one eldership team overseeing another congregation. The point is that the elders are meant to be the authority structure, the, the chain, the, 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 the authority in the church where all the affairs of the church are governed. So the church vision, the church finances, the pastoral system, the discipleship system, everything that happens in the church should feed back to the eldership team so that they, and they, they watch over it, not from a throne on a stage, but from a place where they care about the sheep and that the sheep are living the core. Okay? Not like, Okay, now I'm, I, I'm, now I'm this person. I can sit in this chair in the church and you can call me bishop or elder. Not from that heart. Okay? From a heart that says, no, I want to make sure that the church becomes what Jesus called it to be. Amen. So that's what elders do. And then the next level we see is deacons. And deacon, the word deacon in Greek just means servant. That's what it means. And we see the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem appointing in Acts chapter 6 deacons. And what those deacons were to do were look after the ministries in the church and the teams in the church so that they could focus on the health of the church and the prayer and being in the word. Okay, So deacons are servant leaders who run the various ministries in the church. They, In, in our context... 
So, so how um, this kind of plays out in our context, we have an eldership, t- I mean, we have an ap- apostolic team in Southern Africa, and they are here to serve us. Gareth serves on that team. He will be here next week. Why will he be here? Because he wants this church to prosper. <laughs> and, he's, and, he's, and, he, and he looks after Trish and I, and he looks after the eldership team in this church, and he watches to make sure that we are okay and that we are fulfilling the purpose of God. He will come ne- here next week, and he will pray for our eldership team and put them in place. Okay, Because that's the function of an apostle. That's what they do. All right? They come and set order into local churches. They help and assist local churches. So we have an apostolic team. Gareth is one of the on that team, and he'll be here next week. Then we have an eldership team okay, in this church, which we'll be setting in place next week. And then we have deacons. In this church, we call deacons team or ministry leaders or connect group leaders. If you're a connect group leader or if you're a team or a ministry leader in this church, you're a deacon. Okay, we might not always use that word deacon. We'll just call a team or ministry leader or connect group leader. But ultimately, you are servant, a servant leader who's looking after a particular part of the church. It would be wrong for us to go, well, I'm just a deacon. I'm not an apostle or an elder and look down on what we, what we're doing. This is not a ladder to climb <laughs> that I'm talking about here. All right. This is, this is about function and purpose. This is about you serving God with your three hearts. This is about you finding your place in the body of Christ. This is about you using your gift for the body of Christ. There's nobody better than anybody else here. I mean, if we have just an eldership team and we don't have any deacons, I can tell you now the church won't go anywhere. <laughs> if we just have deacons and we don't have an eldership team together, then it won't go. The, you know, Paul said this, we're all different parts of the same body. Okay, we, we all feed off each other and link together. Is that clear? How do the fivefold ministry gifts fit into this picture? Well, um, the fivefold ministry gifts in Ephesians 4 are, are these. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Okay, those are the fivefold gifts. Very important to note is the Bible says that these are gifts, not titles. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, we turn them into... Why? Because we're looking at the actions and the rituals not the the core okay these are gifts these are a gift that god gives to somebody so that they can bless the church that they can fulfill the purpose of god in their time so just like we've had an amazing worship team up here this morning and people were using the gift of musicality and rhythm and singing some amazing voices we have in this church i don't have that gift (laughs) <laughs> but I'm trusting God. <laughs> One day you will hear my voice. So I'm going to go on sabbatical and we're going to do singing lessons. I'm going to come back and shock all of you. <laughs> I'll throw in some dance lessons too. See me bust a few moves up here. You'll be like, ha, ah, fundies. <laughs> they, you, you have a gift to sing. Let me ask you this question. Is it for you? It does benefit your life. You enjoy doing it. But ultimately, it's for the people who hear it. Okay? It's the same with these gifts. Okay? It's not for them. So that I can be called evangelist or pastor or apostle or something. It's, it's for the people. 
so that the people will be equipped to do the work of ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 says. It says that these exist, these gifts exist, so that the body of Christ will be equipped. So the ultimate job of the apostle is to equip the local church to be more apostolic, that every single one of us become more apostolic. The job of the prophet is to make us more prophetic, the evangelist to make us more evangelical, the, so the teacher, etc. Okay? The, the end result is that if these gifts are released in the church, we become more like them. And if when we look at those gifts, those, Jesus was every one of those. Jesus was the high apostle. You can see that in the Hebrews. He was the prophet. All right? He was an evangelist. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was all of those things. Okay, and he deposits those gifts into people so that they can minister into the church so that we can actually all be more like Jesus at the end of the day. Okay? God forbid that we turn it into a title-driven thing. Um, so let me just go to, uh, um, let me just explain how this, this links together. Um, how, how do we have, um, just pause for a moment on that if you want to mind. Um, how how does how do these two things work together well it's very possible that we could have a deacon in the church who also is has the gift of an evangelist it's very possible that that can happen all right so these gifts over here are expressed in actually all three levels of leadership that we see in the church so there you will find um in the, in the eldership team, you might have someone who's very prophetically motivated. You might find someone who is more of a pastor, who is more of a teacher. In the Bible, we see Philip and Stephen, who were deacons, but they were mighty evangelists flowing in the gifts of healing as well. So just because you're a deacon doesn't mean that you can't be, use the gift of an evangelist in your life. Does this make sense to you? Okay, so, so these gifts are deposited into leaders, and those leaders then begin to express those in the church. Okay? And there's other gifts the Bible talks about. It talks about the motivational gifts, and we see those gifts coming into those three levels of leadership as well. In, in Romans chapter 12, you see the gift of administration and leadership. Now, those, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but you'll see it expressed in all three levels of leadership in different people. Or you'll see the gift of mercy it talks about in Romans 12. You might find a deacon who is mercy-driven or an elder who is mercy-driven or an apostle who is actually very mercy-driven and pioneering mercy works for the church. So, so you see these gifts all expressed in those three levels of leadership. Amen. Um, last scripture, Matthew 23, verse 5. Are you still okay? Verse 5 says the following. It says, But all their works they do to be seen by... He's talking about the Pharisees here. They do their stuff to why? Because they want people to see. They're doing it for a show. God forbid that we become that. That this over here becomes a show for you to enjoy. And us not actually be the church that Jesus has called us to be, where this stage and this platform exists so, so that we could be have the core that Jesus wants, so that then we can go and do the works that Jesus called us to do. Not so that we can all be mesmerized and say, that was such a great sermon, that was such beautiful worship, and go back and live lives that are unchanged. That's just, I think Satan's fine if you come to church like that. You come to church... 
and, you, and you're going to get a show and you're going to get something nice, like maybe like the same as turning on the TV. And you watch something and it's awesome and then your life doesn't change. But it was entertainment for a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. God forbid that we become that. Amen? But all their works they do to be seen by men, they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They put on all sorts of clothes. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi, rabbi. But you, can you say but you? But you, do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all, you're all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. (laughs) And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest amongst you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is not anti-establishment. I want you to know this. What he is anti is religious culture. He's anti this religious culture. This culture, okay, Jesus is not anti-establishment. He put leaders in place. He gave people authority. He built structures before he left. But what he was anti here is the culture where where leaders were all about titles, positions, uh, all that sort of stuff. And the people were all about This is my leader, this is my leader, this is my father, this is my teacher, this is my... And no, I have a relationship with God myself. It was all about going through other people, all right? So, what we see in this passage is what biblical leadership should be like. It should be one where... um, Here's the framework. I'm just going to put it up for you this morning. Sorry, this is teaching. I hope you're right. Spirit-led, okay? We have leaders in the church who are appointed, and that appointment is done by the Spirit of God, okay? Evidence or fruit-based. There's, there's evidence. There's, there's fruit of your calling in your life. It's character that is being emphasized. Your character is one of holiness and righteousness. It's servant leadership where humili- there's humility in it, and there's a culture of honor in the church. So Jesus wasn't saying, well, now we just don't honor anybody, and we don't you know, respect people. He wasn't saying that. He was just saying, watch out, that it doesn't become this kooky, weird thing. And I think he was wise to advise us because I look at the church, you see a lot of kooky and weird. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet.